Hi, I'm Rasha, and this is Policy Talks. Welcome to Policy Talks, a show focused on policy analysis in international affairs. In this episode, we focus on the recent presidential election in Mexico. This election saw a landslide victory for Andres Manuel López Obrador and the relatively new National Regeneration Movement Party. The election is being seen by many as a demand for change of the Mexican political system. López Obrador is considered to be a leftist populist reformer, with comparisons being made to the past president of Venezuela, Hugo Chávez, and current U.S. President Donald Trump. This is López Obrador's third attempt to win the presidency. He had placed second during two previous efforts, notably the 2006 election, where his supporters claimed he was the legitimate victor and resulted in weeks of protests in Mexico City. He previously made his name as a relatively popular mayor of Mexico City from 2000 to 2005 and has promised bold action throughout his election campaign. López Obrador has campaigned on the promise to take control of Mexico back from the, quote, the mafia of power. He claims that political corruption is the root cause of poverty in Mexico. He is also taking a stance on addressing crime rates by proposing to offer amnesty to many low-level drug traffickers and even some kingpins as an incentive. Furthermore, he promised to pull Mexico from NAFTA if the renegotiated agreement is unfavorable, although he claims he would prefer to avoid such a situation. To gain more insight on the situation, I spoke to Dr. Michael Lettieri, Senior Research Fellow for the Council on Hemispheric Affairs, a non-for-profit and independent research and information organization based in Washington, D.C. Dr. Letary writes about democracy, human rights, and security policy in Mexico. So here we have Dr. Letary joining us today on Policy Talks podcast. Dr. Letary, thank you again so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. To start off, uh, you know, we looked at the current situation in Mexico and the landslide victory of Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And so the first question is really, you know, what are the major issues that led to such a landslide victory with 53% of the popular vote? Right. Well, it was a landslide, and it's important to note that it was his truly a historic election in two senses. First, López Obrador, or AMLO, as he's known by his initials in Spanish, has a mandate that really no Mexican president probably since the 1930s has ever had, which is to say that since democratization began, the long process of democratization began in Mexico in the 1980s, really, you have not had a presidential candidate receive more than 50% of the vote. So he has a mandate in that sense that's truly historic. Certainly since real democracy came to Mexico in 2000, this is unprecedented. But he also represents sort of the first genuinely left-wing candidate that the country has had, again, since the 1930s, and the first democratically elected leftist in Mexico ever. So that alone makes it a historic election. It was a truly interesting election in part because 
his ideology perhaps didn't really matter. That he was a leftist didn't matter. And what the election was about in terms of issues was effectively a rejection of the status quo. Over the past 12 years, Mexico has experienced waves of violence that have truly been astounding. Last year, there were some 29,000 murders in the country. And people were fed up. And they were fed up with sort of a string of failed policies and a string of governments that really didn't seem to care about most people. So would you say that his, you alluded to his rejection of the status quo. Would you say that, you know, his popularity could really be attributed to this or would there be additional factors to consider? Well, the the thing to remember with Lopez Obrador is that this was his third run for the presidency. So he lost very narrowly in 2006 in an election that had been tainted by fraud. It had been tainted by manipulation by the incumbent administration. He had run again in 2012, and while he didn't come as close, he represented sort of the, the scream, as it were, against the return of the former authoritarian party, the PRI, which ultimately won the election. So he's well known to Mexican voters as this sort of perennial outsider, this candidate who has effectively been saying things are going the wrong direction and we need a change. So as a change vote, he was very important in that sense. His central issue has long been anti-corruption in a way. And it's been sort of this sense that the country is controlled by what he calls the mafia of power and that their neoliberal policies have basically destroyed the country. That's a bit of a simplification because he's actually quite pragmatic in his in the policies he seeks to implement. But effectively, he was running on a platform of, I represent the non-corrupt change option in the country. And he didn't have to do very much. He led the polls wire to wire. None of the challengers even really came close to touching him. So was it about issues? Perhaps, but more than anything, it was really about a rejection of the status quo. So you talked about his stance on, you know, anti-corruption. And what does, what does this presidential victory mean for Mexico's domestic pol- politics in terms of, um, you know, tackling major issues such as anti-corruption, but also violent crime and others? Right. Well, let me let me start with the corruption question, because I think that's perhaps they're all thorny. But the corruption question is particularly thorny because Lopez Obrador has something of a complicated relationship with it. And what I mean by that is, while no one believes no one who's informed truly believes that he is personally corrupt. He's not an institution builder in the sense that he doesn't really believe that Mexico's state institutions, as currently constituted, have much value. He believes they've sort of been set up by that mafia of power again, and that they serve the interests of the elite. 
he's not totally wrong in this, but in that general sort of attitude, he rather undervalues the work of civil society, which has been the sort of leader in creating anti-corruption institutions in the country. So his ability to fight corruption, his policy on that is can really be summed up by the notion of leading by example, that he believes that by not being personally corrupt, he will somehow affect a broad institutional change. That, I think, is far-fetched. Certainly, if he demonstrates a will to build institutions that will prosecute corruption, he could have an impact. But it's a little bit unclear whether he's actually willing to build those sorts of institutions. So the corruption thing is certainly going to be something to watch because just yesterday, the Electoral Institute fined his party over the use of a, a recovery fund that he had encouraged to support victims of the earthquake. He has denounced that finding as the work of the mafia of power, which sets kind of a troubling precedent even before he takes office that he's not really necessarily going to be willing to respect the findings of anti-corruption institutions when they go against his allies. So there's some reason for concern there. On the topic of violence, there's a lot more reason for hope, I think, in the sense that he's willing to make a radical break with the past. And we're talking in that sense about things like legalizing marijuana, possibly legalizing other drugs. We're talking about amnesty possibilities. This would mean, for example, offering pardons or reduced sentences to members of criminal organizations that cooperate with the state in terms of prosecuting other larger, more important crimes, in terms of, say, finding secret graves, and offering some sort of forms of transitional justice that might, in a way, be able to reduce the levels of violence in the country. I don't want to overpromise there because amnesty in the abstract is not necessarily a perfect solution when applied to Mexico. Mexico is not Colombia, and a peace treaty is not necessarily something that's very feasible to think about, but they're willing to at least look at these very bold steps for addressing the violence. And that, I think, is very promising. We'll have more with Dr. Michael Lettieri after a quick break. You're listening to Policy Talks Podcast in partnership with iAffairs Canada, recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, please go to www.policytalkspodcast.com. and our team to come to Mexico soon after the election to begin building our relationship with him and his team. We share nearly a 2,000-mile border. The United States is committed to making measurable progress that ensures the security on both sides of that border. That was U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo speaking at a press conference in Mexico City after heading a delegation of top U.S. officials 
to meet with the new Mexican president-elect. This was considered by many to be an unprecedented move. Conventionally, the Mexican president would first make a visit to Washington to meet with the U.S. president. However, to many this seems to be a move by the White House to be proactive in building a new relationship with Mexico. The election of López Obrador seems to not only have the potential of reforming domestic Mexican politics, but also international affairs. It is on this note that I continued my discussion with Dr. Letieri. How have other states in the region, you know, for example, the United States, reacted to his victory? Generally, it's been fairly positive. Um, you know, Lula, the imprisoned president of Brazil, sort of tweeted out that Mexico is now the the hemispheric leader for, you know, leftist ideology, leftist policy, leftist government. Donald Trump has certainly been very flattering. He's Lopez Obrador has already met with the delegation from the United States that included Pompeo and and um, Nielsen. So generally, the reaction has been very positive. When the rubber meets the road a few months from now, after he takes office on December 1st, we could see something totally different. It's unlikely that he's going to play ball with what Washington would like to see in terms of immigration policy. He's certainly not going to pay for any wall. Of course, no Mexican president was ever going to pay for any wall. So that was always a little bit of a rhetorical overreach by Trump. But when it comes down to it, we may actually find out that his relationships in the region could start to fray. And if we take sort of a broader perspective, looking at Mexico's overall foreign policy positions. How do you see this election affecting that more broadly? Yeah, the interesting thing about Lopez Obrador himself is that he's not a foreign policy person. He's not broadly, has never been broadly interested in foreign policy. He believes, as he said, that the best foreign policy is good domestic policy. Really, his focus is on domestic issues. So he's very willing to let his advisors, and he has a very good team of advisors, handle foreign policy. What that means, though, is we don't quite have a great handle on where things are going to go. I think the relationship with the U.S. is going to be front and center. It's always been front and center in Mexico. And we'll see. He's hoping, I think, to work toward a renegotiation of NAFTA. He's certainly not making any moves like he would, you know, be willing to blow it up unilaterally the way that Trump has talked about and the way that some people feared. But he certainly would like to renegotiate it in a way that provides benefits to more Mexicans than have received ben- the benefits of NAFTA. Well, Dr. Letieri, thank you so much for your time today and for shedding some light on the Mexican elections. We look forward to seeing how things unfold uh, and, and you know what comes to play uh, following, following this and, and if there's any change in Mexico's foreign policy positions and uh, domestic policies as well. So I know our listeners will be very keen to, to follow this. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Policy Talks. Remember to visit us at policytalkspodcast.com and on Twitter at policytalkspod for updates and related content.
We would like to acknowledge the support of our partners at iAffairs Canada, an online media hub based at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. iAffairs engages the diverse international affairs community in Canada and around the world to produce policy research and recommendations on foreign policy issues with a special focus on students, emerging scholars, and young professionals. Please visit them at iAffairsCanada.com to learn more. Finally, I'd like to acknowledge the hard work of our wonderful production team. Mark Hyken, Benjamin Musampa, Kenneth Boddy, and Joe Venkatesh. Until next time, I'm Rasha, and this is Policy Talks. <laughs>